I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English Lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow Lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Audra. Sorry, I have to find my headphones so I can hear myself. That's okay. <laughs> okay, I have located them. That's better. I never understood why, like, musicians did that. Like, why do they have... Yeah. Like, so you can hear yourself. Yeah. I was like, why do you need to hear yourself? And now I totally get it. Like, it makes sense. Yeah, I need to uh, get another pair of overhead headphones because I had a pair and then I think because they're like Bluetooth or something, it was like messing up. Do you remember that few times that we recorded and it was just totally messing it up? So now I'm just using normal earbuds, but I need normal earbuds to talk to you. I just, I need to reconfigure my setup. Let's just say that. Let's just, let's just say I need to reconfigure things and I need another pair of headphones. I'll see if Kendrick has an extra pair and just send them to you. Okay. Before you go buying some. So let me ask him about that because. I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't have to be like a quality pair, just something that yeah, can sit over my pair. headphones. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of nice. Like now it feels weird when I don't have it. So <laughs> I was like, oh crap, I need my headphones. <laughs> um, so I actually made a libation this evening. Woo woo! Effort into it. Well, not as it doesn't look as nice as yours. I'm seeing you sip it and it looks beautiful. But I, so it's dragon fruit and mango and banana and strawberries <gasps> and vodka. That and I blended amazing. it all together. And it's yeah. I mean, this book isn't like tropical, but I don't know. It just made me feel. It's kind of jungly though. So like I get that. Yeah. Like a little jungle juice. Yeah. Speaking of, we were talking last time about what, like, the cover of our book, how it's all the different colors. It's called a rainbow gum tree. Oh, okay. And that's the tree that he has, that Brenton has in the middle of his house. And they're so cool. I've seen them when I've been in Hawaii. They're all sorts of places, but they're really cool trees. And I think that's what is on the book, is the rainbow, like, it's bark from the rainbow gum tree. That makes makes sense. (laughs) makes treats that makes tree you know what it's gonna be one of those episodes i'm me too it's been one of those days and i'm feeling a little loopy and me too uh, yeah so bear with us everybody yeah dude um, weeks like work's been crazy i can't talk today work's been crazy i'm loopy i'm happy i'm happy to be here i'm a little loosey-goosey yeah, like, from is, yoga so yeah it's, it's just gonna be oh, fun nice yeah i need to get back into that I really enjoy it. It makes a really big the difference. Kids do yoga and it's really cute. Oh, of course it does. Yeah, it's awesome. I like. I noticed. I so I started doing it more again like a year ago, and before that, I would notice my like my joints were so stiff. I could be sitting down, and when I'd sit up after just like twenty minutes, my knees would be like so stiff that it would take me a while before I could like walk normal. I'm like, what is happening? I'm only twenty six this shouldn't mm-hmm. be happening and then I started going to yoga again and it has not been a problem it's so good for Kendrick does yoga all the time like every day he does yoga and he's super flexible so I mean I didn't you know see that. him like when well I've seen him do Disney, he yeah just, he just goes he into just, a like, yogi squat 
Yeah, he looks like a bird of prey. It's pretty funny. He'll do it like on the counters at home and stuff all the time. I'm like, you look like you're some hawk or something. I, I think that's awesome. Um, your drink um, sounds delicious. It is really good. What are you drinking? I'm having an espresso martini, which is possibly that's not good. the best thing to drink at nine o'clock at night. Um, but you know what? It tastes delicious, and I, I think really I'll be have fine. Have a problem with caffeine at night? To be honest. I don't think I have either. Like, like I still fall asleep. Um, yeah. But sometimes I do wonder, I do, if I'm actually, like, yeah. am I weirder the next day or something? I don't know. Could be. I'm pretty, like, I don't know. I feel like it's because I'm pretty much always stimulated. Like, I feel like I'm thinking mm-hmm. a zillion things at all the time. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't really make much of a difference to me. Like, I can, I mean, I still have to do things to fall asleep, but I have to do that anyway. Okay. I have to find something to shut my brain off. I should really meditate, but. Are you really painting your nails right now? <laughs> I am. I'm multitasking. <laughs> You're recording the podcast and painting your nails at the same time. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, it's. Let's see. What color is it? It's a. Uh, it's called not so sweet. Oh, it's a pink. It's a light pink. It's really cute. Know, Valentine's Day. Do you guys have plans for Valentine's Day? Do you guys do? Do you guys celebrate? Valentine's not Day? really. Not really. I think. Well, last year, Brian was extra cute and he made me lobster or no Aww, he didn't make me lobster he sweet. it was crab legs crab legs but it was still amazing it was king crab and it was delicious and oh, we had like perfect. surf and turf so we had steak and crab and um mashed potatoes that were delicious and we just ate at home had like a, a cute little home candlelight dinner but that I don't. Sounds fabulous. It was great. It was really great. This year we don't really have plans. I think we might go see um, Death on the Nile. It's like the Agatha Christie oh. mystery. Yeah, I just started. I downloaded that on Audible. I had started to listen to it, um, but then I got hooked into the new um, serial podcast, uh, The Trojan Horse. Oh, I haven't been listening to that. So did you ever listen to any of the serial podcasts? Yes. So I, there was two seasons of serial and then there was um S Town. Yes, I love Shit Town. Okay, so if you let so the same guy, Brian, that narr- that produced Shit Town, he does this in conjunction with this other guy and I I can't remember his name because I'm I don't know how to pronounce it, but he's interesting guy. He um is this doctor in Birmingham, England, mm-hmm. and then decided to completely switch his career up and started going to school for investigative journalism. Oh cool. And approached Brian at this like re, uh, like kind of question and answer session he did about Shitstown um about this whole thing that happened in Birmingham, England where basically I won't do it justice, but basically th- Birmingham is kind of this predominantly Muslim area in England. And there was this man who kind of helped revitalize the schools because the schools were doing Mm -hmm. so poorly. And someone wrote this like fake letter saying that these group of Muslims were trying to like infiltrate the schools and, and it was all fake and it's, it's just kind of about the whole thing, but it's really good. I mean, those podcasts are always really good and this one is no exception. So I've been hooked on that. So totally recommend it it's really really good okay i'll start listening to it the trojan horse affair okay i'm gonna start listening to it i have i've been having the hardest time listening to um podcasts lately where like you need to pay a lot of attention like those investigative ones because my job is just so different now like i used to listen to them non-stop at work 
back in Utah, but now I get like talked to so much at work that (laughs) I feel like it's just constant interruption. So I just can't. You don't have much of a commute, right? Like you don't have much of a commute. Five minutes. Five five minutes. Yeah. See, I I list. I drive a lot. Um, mm. so that's probably, it. it's not like long distances at a time. It's like 20 minutes here, whatever, but that's kind of where I do it. Or if I go on like walks or hikes or something. So if you can find some time or like, you know, putting around the house. Like yeah. That's a good yeah. Time too. I should sure. take it when I, I should listen when I'm skiing too. I like listening to stuff when mm. I go skiing. So that's a good idea actually. I, I have to focus on not falling on my ass when I ski. That's what I, <laughs> I want to go I with you. Like, I haven't been with you or Kendrick. I mean, I'm fun. Like, it's fun. But I like my easy Sunday skiing slopes. Yeah. Kendrick's a really good skier. I'm decent, but I don't like to push myself. Me neither. Uh, but, yeah. It's fun. I, me and you are probably, like, the same when it comes to skiing. We should go Perfect. together. We yeah, have like, a great there's time. This one run at, there's this one run at Brighton. It's the one of the blue runs, and it's just my favorite run in all the land, and it's pretty, and it's mm. just challenging enough, but then there's just these parts of it that are just, like, nice and easy and smooth, and it's just, like, on a bright Sunday, there's just mm. nothing better. It's just it's just good. That sounds like a good time. Oh, now I want to go skiing. I know. <laughs> Me um, too. Okay, well, we should maybe actually talk about stuff other people care about um why don't you let everyone know what our next book is and in case we forget to tell you we are gonna take one week break yes to give ourselves and you all time to get through this next book because it is bigger but it's not i still think it's a good i don't want to i don't want to say anything that we read is easy it's it's a good it's um it's it's readable it's not challenging yes it's very readable it's not you're not gonna have to slog through it but it's it's a it's 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 got some pages to it 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 does give everybody some time um i constantly hear how much we read and so i'm like (laughs) okay maybe we should maybe we should give a little bit of a buffer for ourselves and for everyone else because this one is a bit of a break so we will um take one week break after this episode and then start up again and we'll put all this on our on the gram um but just wanted to put that out there so that no one freaks out when you see how big the book is yes so the book that we're going to be reading is the book of form and emptiness by ruth oziki or oziki i don't know if i'm saying that right um but what it's about is a young boy he's like 13 years old and he begins to hear voices after the death of his father and these objects around him start speaking to him including a book um and it, he just, it's just kind of about him hearing these voices around him and dealing with all of this and then his let's see it says he at first Benny tries to ignore them but soon the voices follow him outside the home onto the street and at school, driving him at last to seek refuge in the silence of a large public library where objects are well-behaved and know how to speak in whispers. There, Benny discovers a strange new world. He falls in love with a mesmerizing street artist with a smug pet ferret who uses the library as her performance space. He meets a homeless philosopher poet who encourages him to ask important questions and find his own voice among many. And he meets his very own book, a talking thing who narrates Benny's life and teaches him to listen to things that truly matter. So I'm I'm really excited to read this book. It's a little different than anything I've read for a very long time. Um, this kind of like 
fantastical, almost like imaginary world is something I don't know that we've really seen yet on the podcast on any of the books that we've covered, like quite this magical, I guess. I don't know. What do you think? I'm I'm excited. It's different. I am too. I'm not too, too far into it yet, but what I am, like what I've read so far, I like, and I think it's, it's, I can see the tone being set for it being a little out there, but in a different way than we've read, but it's still super readable. Like we said, it's not, it doesn't seem weird for weirdness sake, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and this author is really interesting. She's a professor, but she's also a Zen Buddhist monk. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited about it. It's definitely good, but it is it is a tome, so we want to give everyone time. So definitely go pick up a copy from your local bookstore. Um, yes, and get going on it. But I'm yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. I think it'll be interesting, and it's yeah, I I like it so far. Good, good, good to hear. But yeah, again, it is long, so it's about 500 pages. But we're gonna give you all a lot of extra time to read it, and then we'll be sure to post early ish next week um what our reading goal is for the first episode so you know how far you need to get to within like the next two weeks of the episode coming up yeah definitely um and i can't wait to finish talking i know just (laughs) loved love 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 this book so where we (sighs) left off um from our last episode we had the in the story what had happened is uh branson had He'd been kind of avoiding coming back to see Fen and Nell. Um, they kind of both were playing this, I don't know, we don't want to impose upon the other game. Um, yeah. And he comes, and and right when they kind of meet up again, he, he's been sick. And so then all of a sudden he, he faints. Um, so then it picks back up with um, Bankson being, I said Branson and I said Benson. I don't know what the hell is wrong <laughs> with me. Bankson... Okay. Um, is is recuperating uh there in their home in the in amongst the tribe so he's pretty sick for quite a while and i think the first couple chapters are interesting you know you kind of get Mm. from nell's point of view you hear about you know fen taking care like they're all kind of nursing him back to health and taking care of him and he's pretty sick for a while and then he regains his health and then it goes through their time all three of them then are living kind of together and studying the 10 together. And that's when they come up with, um, what do they call it? The grid, the grid. So they basically, it's, it's a grid showing North, East, South, and West. And they kind of uh, categorize like cultures, groups of people all the way from large swaths of people, like say the English all the way down Mm to, um, individuals within these categories and the north are strong-willed possessive aggressive achievement oriented competitive and assertive the east are creative artistic spiritual internal all gray non-conformist the south are caring responsive flexible compassionate yielding and compliant and the west are pragmatic managerial linear organized black and white with no gray systematic and external so they mm-hmm. create this grid and kind of within the world of the story become quite famous with it. And unfortunately, it's actually then used because um, mm-hmm. this is written in the 30s. It's used by the Nazis to categorize. And and so then Bankson becomes, what's the word? D- doesn't appreciate the association with it. He feels guilty 
for it. Yeah. Um, but so they create this grid together and, and I actually really loved that part of the chapter cause it's so, I love watching people who are really good and really smart at things collaborate. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's just fascinating what we can do when we actually collaborate together. And so that I thought was a really fun part of the chapter. But so they create that. And then um, Fen, little twerp that he is, he's been kind of obsessed with finding this flute, right, from their previous tribe that they were at Ugh. that is like yeah. this sacred object and is determined to go back and steal it. Um, cause then he will be famous, right? He will mm-hmm. have his own legacy, his own legacy. He'll surpass Nell. And it's this tangible, you know, thing, because no matter what he writes, he, in his mind, it's never going to, it's always going to be second to Nell. Yeah. She's always going to overshadow him and heaven forbid. So then he, he kind of coordinates with, oh, what is the character's name? He's a member of the Ten oh. tribe and he had left to go join the mines um and returns Zam, and zamboon yeah and he's returned from the, his work in the mines and nell really wants to talk to him because here's a person who has left his tribe and has lived in both worlds basically and what she's focused on how much that will bring to her research and what she's doing to be able to talk to someone like that um yeah and bankson and nell just become closer and at one point Fen and Nell have kind of a violent uh, altercation I mean it's well there's mm, there's uh definitely hints and signs throughout the novel that he's always been pretty violent towards her um specifically when he was with that um tribe that they started out with that was like a more typically kind of outwardly violent tribe and um like that's why her glasses are broken at the beginning but yeah he has this big altercation with her where he like throws her typewriter down and breaks it and then she like she has like a twisted ankle because of stuff that he's done to her so just like this huge thing but he just leaves after this kind of rising tension amongst the three of them as Nell and Bingson get closer and he kind of gets more jealous and jealous, like more weird and possessive and secretive in his own kind of way. And then they go to steal the object, Fen and Zamboon, who he mm-hmm. convinces to help him. And unfortunately, like this is, it's so heartbreaking when he returns, he returns with Zamboon's corpse. He was killed while they were doing this and and then they all the three of them flee the village yeah bankson and bankson is is telling them like hey we need we need to go like we're not safe here like with what just happened at that's our fault we need to leave and so they all Yeah. yeah they all flee and take separate rooms back in what they call civilization and yeah it's an interesting like it's interesting to see Fen kind of reacclimate and mm-hmm. kind of revel in this, you know, and in his showing no remorse really. And whatever remorse he does show is purely for self-preservation. It's like a way to, to, 
to get Nell to come with him. It's like he's just so manipulative. He's so manipulative and he's so like blinded. Like I think he, you know, like he talks about how it was a gift that they bestowed to him. He didn't steal it. It was a gift. They meant for him to have it. And then when, you know, Zamboon gets killed, they ask him, well, how come you didn't get killed and he kind of keeps coming up with the idea well it was a gift or and but then he says he used the spell for like invisibility yeah a spell of a spell of invisibility and he, basically, and he yeah. keeps he keeps saying that that's what it was but it's not what it like obviously he didn't use a spell to make himself invisible right like so it's just he just is dishonest and manipulative and um his whole character kind of like falls apart crumbles a little bit Mm -hmm. here as far as like the way that we view him um and what he's done and what he's capable of and especially the way he treats Nell which ends horribly (laughs) oh and big one big thing we forgot so and Nell is pregnant yeah yeah so we find out Nell's pregnant before Finn goes off to steal this flute um he he's the one that kind of tells Banks in this with this like kind of malicious glee almost. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I think thinking that that's going to end whatever relationship Fen and Banks and have developing. But so they all leave the tribe and um, Banks and, and, and before this also Banks and Nell make love. They kind of profess their love for each other. And once they've left the tribe, Banks and, wants Nell to go with him you know kind of professes his love for her again and it's really sad because she doesn't say I don't love you doesn't say she doesn't want to just says that she can't and she leaves with with Fen and then I love she's talked about it a couple times throughout the book her outlook on relationships and she you know says that people are either bread or wine yeah and then she and when she says this you know um she says that everyone's wine to her like yeah for a long time and then at the end like you said um she tells Bankson that he's wine and bread and it's ugh, I just I really love that description mm. of a relationship because it it being wine and bread it's the comfort the safety you know of um bread that fills you up fulfills you and sustains you but then it's also like the heat and the passion and the fluidity mm-hmm. that you would associate with wine. And I just, I really love their relationship and it feels super charged throughout the whole book. And it takes a while for them to actually act on it, you know? Yeah. And then I love, I love that scene where like the first time that they make love to each other, um, after she finally gets to witness and participate in that uh, oh, yeah. ritual, Rich, like ritualistic yeah. orgy, basically between well, the women, just between the women, kind of, yeah, just between the women, um, which I think is a very cool scene. And then she just dis- what she does is she describes what she witnessed mm-hmm. to him, to Bankson, and it leads to that, and kind of does the same thing to the whole village. Like she talks about how. Um, everybody will be making love that night because the men know what's going on and they, like, don't want to... I don't know. They want to, like... 
Well, it's, she make sure that their women, women still love him or something. The women or something. reassure the men that they're still needed and wanted. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's just some, it, yeah, it, it's a good scene. And, and they really connect because before I feel like their connection was so cerebral, right? Like, and so, mm. so, um, by this shared passion that they have and this shared learning from each other and, uh, respect for each other and their, like in Nell and how knowledgeable she is like in, in Bankson's not threatened by it. You know, he's inspired by it. Like I just yeah. love, it makes such a point of Fenn seems so threatened by Nell's success and by her intelligence and by her work. And Bankson is inspired by it. He doesn't, he yeah. doesn't seem threatened by any of it and it's just lovely. And then at this point, then their relationship moves to this more physical level and and in the same way like they're just it's interesting how it's described like they just both really seem to relish in each other and it's this equality really um yeah but yeah so then fen and nell end up leaving together um on the boat but then you find that she was going to leave and go back to bankson Mm -hmm. but before that could happen she dies while she's on the ship and it's kind of purposely vague about i mean because she her her last the last words we hear from Nell, it's chapters 28 and she says i have done it full fathom five it lies hiding out here in the third class library for the time being strange how a ship was our doing and now our undoing let him rage let him rage across the oceans but he will rage alone i'm getting off tomorrow at aden doubling back to sydney he is wine and bread and deep in my stomach I know. And then and then you find out that Bankson finds out from uh, I can't remember the woman's name, but just some acquaintance that yeah. Nell died. And how did let's see. It's in that. It says um, that they couldn't stop the bleeding. Yeah. Um, so something to then, do with her pregnancy. Yeah. Which I mean, the thing is, is that we know that she's already lost a pregnancy and it is heavily mm-hmm. implied that she loses it because of what he does to her. And it it basically yeah. prompts I mean, it's, like a miscarriage. It's yeah, it's purposely vague about the cause, what exactly happened, because then also Fen insists on her being buried at sea. So then there's no evidence. body. There's no way to have, yeah, exactly any evidence of what happened, which is, I mean, I... I kind of figured that they weren't going to end up together, that it would be a little bit of this tragic love story, but I was, I was surprised by kind of exactly how it ends. And it's really, really Me sad. Too. And, and then you learn that Bankson, you know, kept going with his work and he brings up kind of the sadness that he had, that their grid was used for kind of untoward means. Um, yeah. And, but you learn that he obviously went and did more and had more research and he goes to America for, you know, to see, uh, like an exhibit in, in the museum. And oh, I love, my gosh, I love this part. Yeah. <gasps> where he sees, um, what are they like? One of the masks that yeah. was made from one of the tribes and in one of the masks was, um, a bit of thread from a wrinkled blue dress that he had once undone because you learned that Nell wanted one of her dresses given to one of the women at the tribe. Like they, she kind of had a, a grouping yeah, when, of things that she wanted given. That she wanted returned to like specifically Maloon, who I think was like the mother of Zamboon yes. and who she was, Nell was super, super attached to. 
And, um, yeah, so she sends Bingson back with gifts, basically, for the specific people that she was really attached to. And you see them kind of, like, mourn the loss of her as well in the village, um, which I also thought was really interesting. But then, yeah, like, this, this, like, remnant that he's seeing years and years, decades, decades later of his time there. And it is kind of... I really like this because... So much of, like, when you go to a museum, when you go to, like, a natural history museum or historical museum, you see these items on display, and it's so oftentimes very, like, removed, you know, Mm -hmm. from its own history. In a way, like, the history is presented usually very adequately, but the individual item's history, not just its, like, representation of a culture, can get lost. And so, like, this this idea of him seeing this mask on display in a museum and he recognizes that the thread used in the mask is from the dress that he left, that, like, yeah. personal touch, that personal history to this object that is now on display for, like, thousands and thousands of people is... I mean, how many, it just makes me really think about how many objects, like, have I seen, you know, that were at some point, like, very emotional for somebody else, you know, like, I don't know, it's just. Which also brings up interesting points about, I mean, I think it, it brings that up and then also with Fen and him stealing this object and determined to make his fame and fortune off of it. Yeah. You know, some really, really good points about how much, how many artifacts are in different museums all over the world that don't belong there. Yeah. Do, you know what I mean? Like, like how mm-hmm. many artifacts are in different museums that are there because of things like this, you know, and they, and granted there's been a lot of work done and there's lots of organizations that work on making sure appropriate like artifacts are are where they should be and that if it's loaned out to a museum it's because it's loaned out and it's but i mean like i was just reading this article it was a couple months ago in the uh it's either the atlantic or the new yorker but it was about this guy who basically had i can't remember the number but it was astounding like hundreds of thousands of native american artifacts like yeah you know but also skeletons like he dug up graves and it and the article was about kind of the people in the I think it was the FBI who were on this case and who retrieved these things and you know he him being arrested and all this but he basically had his own private museum he went he went around the country him and his wife and stole all of this and had been doing it for decades and that's just this one person but I mean this happened and I think this happens ben brings yeah this happens all the time. This happens in Utah all the time. I talk, mm-hmm. I took an archaeological class um, that did a lot of focus on like North American archaeology and Utah, which is a spectacular place for archaeology, truly. And the one of the things that we studied was this case that happened like just a few years ago. I think it was like 2005, um, where it's really common for certain people to go down into southern Utah on like public lands, which are, you know ancient like or not so ancient native american sacred lands and they go treasure hunting basically right like they go around and they look for arrowheads or they look for um jewelry that's left behind because you can find this stuff in utah there have been such rich huge beautiful cultures 
in southern Utah especially, that you can find this stuff, and it's illegal for them to take these things. Um, And this one family, like, they did it, and they had, I mean, again, like a museum's worth of artifacts that they had stolen from Utah lands. And this is a, you know, this is a crime. Um, it, It is a felony, but they got away with it because the husband of this the wife that was really into collecting these items killed himself and the government had sympathy for the family so they didn't end up charging the wife with anything and it's just it's really it's sad and I think too about like I understand at the same time the conflict of like preservation of historical items but then who gets to make those calls you know like who gets to make those choices because you do think about some of these cultures that have unfortunately been virtually wiped out um obviously like I can't even say how um strong and resilient indigenous communities are but a lot of them have been pillaged and just completely um westernized and it's sad and sometimes these things in these museums are the only things left in some ways and so it's 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 a hard but then it wouldn't be the only thing left if they just like left them alone so it's right it's just a really hard like situation and it kind of reminds me too of like watching indiana jones movies now because like when i was growing up you know every time he was like this thing belongs to a museum and i'm like yeah it does it belongs to a museum like people get to study and like learn about this stuff that's great like rainbows and everything it's great right but now it's like no that's actually like this belongs with the people well but it's, I, it's, I don't know it's hard well, I think it's just about having the autonomy to say where your, how your culture is displayed and used. And, you know, that's, that's the point of it instead of having, I mean, like if you think about all the artifacts that are in, you know, I'm trying to think of which museum I was reading about recently, but well, even just like, I don't know, like in the Great British Museum, I mean, there's the one, mm-hmm. you know, one of the biggest colonizers or the things that we have and there are, it is, it is getting better, but I think the novel does bring up kind of this point about what is, um, what's exploitation versus appreciation versus appropriation. Like, and I don't, I don't know if I'm the most qualified to give all the answers to that, but I think it's something that we should at least talk about and that people haven't been talking about enough. And now maybe we finally are a little bit, you know? Yeah. And I, well, I think this book does a good job too of showing like, even with good intentions, like, you have blind spots. So sure. even though, you know, like, Nell loves the Tam people, I re- think she really does. She talks about how they're her people and she doesn't want to leave them. Um, she she loves them and she appreciates them. But at the same time, she's exploiting them in a way. It's like both are true yeah. in a way. Yeah. And, like, well, her like relationships she, that yeah. she builds are real. But they're also exploitative. exploitative. Yeah. And well, you see that like with the fact she that he dies. To, well, and how excited she was to talk to him. Like, 
Yeah. You know, her focus wasn't necessarily, uh, I mean, and it's obvious what, how do you say his name? Zamboon, I think. Zamboon, when he returns, has obviously been through some trauma. Um, I mean, and they're, they kind of talk around the fact that it's known that the mines don't treat the workers well, especially the workers who are Aborigines and, um, and it's obvious that he's been through some trauma and he is dealing with that. And that's like talked around about, but you know, Fen, his focus is on, Hey, he can help me get this, steal this object. And now it's, oh, here's the perfect person to talk to for my research, for my study. And while her intentions are are from a place of kindness, they're also from a little bit of, it, it's that same idea. She's also kind of exploiting him. Her intent isn't yeah, to exploit him. Yeah, she's profiting him, off of she, it. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, it, it's, and it's the same with their grid. You know, they come up with this grid and it's, the intentions are pure and it's coming from this place of trying to like, discover and understand you know she makes the point in the novel and and different people have made this point in the novel that it's part of what helps us as people and as cultures is to be analytical and to self-analyze and to want to grow and evolve and learn and and those things are great but then it's used for untoward means from the nazis like it's it's just it's sad how quickly these things can can go south and I think the book makes a good point of intentions can still be good, but the result of it doesn't always work out the same way. And I think oftentimes it's because we don't, we don't think enough about how actions affect others or even just looking at others as, I mean, it's like Nell truly values and loves the 10 people. But she also looks at them as not quite the same. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I, well, I was thinking about this, like in the fact that um, a lot of these artifacts and and things like this are from, you know, cultures that are existing at the same time as Western culture, but they're in the Natural History Museum, not the History Museum. Mm. Does that make sense? Like the fact that, and and this is true in my experience of like going to museums in general, is that you'll find you know, basically those dioramas or displays of these like indigenous cultures and they're in the hall across from like the displays on the Sahara animals or whatever. Do do you know what I mean? Like it's usually placed next to animals when you go to a museum, not like modern cultures does that make sense yeah well and i think i think the lines become really blurry about what what are you looking at and why and like like the point should be to understand and through understanding have respect and empathy and yeah cohesiveness and community and see see this while seeing differences, seeing the similarities that matter so that we understand like we're all, no one is better than another. But I think that oftentimes that line gets so blurred and that's not what, what's really communicated. And I think the line gets blurred in the book and, um, yeah, there's no real like answers or solutions, but I like that because I think that we still haven't reached an answer as a society. And I think it's, it's just really complicated. We're dealing with human people. And I love how this book kind of pushes against um, 
you know, like what, uh, what universal truths are there really? Like if we're looking at all these different cultures and even these cultures that are existing on the same Island or peninsula or whatever, and how different they are from each other, um, what are the, like the threads that kind of keep it together? And I think it's interesting that at the end, after Fen and Nell leave and Bankson is back with the Tam people, that there's one of the um, young men with the Tam who come up to him and they say, Fen is a bad man. He mm-hmm. hurts her. And, you know, like this is a person who lives in a completely different like cultural mindset or standpoint um recognizing something that Bankson himself has not really like allowed himself to fully recognize because I think he was so nervous about disturbing this like equilibrium that they had even though the signs were all there that Fen was hurting her the fact that she lost a baby like she broke her glasses she is injured a lot of the time that he encounters her Benton broken objects in their house like there are a lot of signs and I think I think part of what it is too on Bankson's end and I think that this novel makes this point as well is I mean how many times have you heard like say you hear about something tragic tragic that's happened and you hear the phrase along the lines of well and they were such a good family or they came from such a good family or and it, it's like almost this idea that there's like a civilized world and a non-civilized world, mm-hmm. right? And Fen makes this point in the novel too. Like he talks about something about, you know, nothing in the primitive world would shock him. You know, the, mm. the, for him, it wasn't shocking when they were at their previous tribe that there was infanticide and cannibalism and, and all these things because he looked at it as like, oh, of course, like it's a primitive world. Well, we have just as much of that in, quote, the non-primitive world, in the civilized world. And I think Bankson kind of falls into that trap of having some blinders on because here's this nice white English and American couple versus if, say, he may be more attuned to signs of abuse or things like that in a non-white society like you know what I mean it's like we're we're almost programmed to look at things as civilized or non-civilized and we come to expect Mm -hmm. untoward things and violence and awfulness in the uncivilized world but we don't expect it in the civilized world and I think that that continues today I mean you you assume if people have money or if they come from a good family if they go to a good school if they live in a certain air like and then if they don't that's more expected and not only expected, but assumed and then treated as such. And I think that the book points out how it, it falls into these categories and, and we still do it. And I think that's part of why banks and kind of, as well as what you're saying, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like seeing the yeah. forest through the trees kind of a thing. But I think it's also a little bit of that, like, Oh, that wouldn't happen. You know, these are educated, civilized, successful mm-hmm. people that wouldn't be well, happening. And, like, I think, too, the power balance between Nell and Fen has always been kind of um, disrupted. You know, like, I think maybe there's an assumption, well, they're here on her money. Like, she's calling the shots. She's in control. This couldn't happen to her, you know. But in reality, that's, like, why this is happening to her. It's because she is the one who's calling the shots and she has the power kind of I guess when it comes to 
generally where they're at and what they're doing with their careers. And, and like, I truly think that, um, Fen is just a perfect example of your average misogynist, um, kind of gone crazy because he's so, he's so like blinded by his own misogyny that he doesn't even recognize the circumstances and the cultures that they're observing, um, that there are situations where that those balances can be reversed. You know, like she talks about how like the sexual um, kind of relationships or like um, roles in that society are reversed with the tan people, mm-hmm. like with like the women kind of holding more of the cards um, yeah. and them having more of like the like physical role. Yeah. And, and like the men being more um, kind of like feminine, artistic minded, like artisans, they are creating like yeah. kind of homemaking almost while the women are the ones going out like fishing and um, doing the bartering and selling doing the bar. And- yeah. Like, yeah. Like kind of being like the brains of the institution in a way. And um, and Fen just like refuses to believe it. But then even when he does, he's like, that's temporary. This is a fluke. Yeah. You know, like, it's just, I don't know. Like, he just refuses to see kind of that power. And then, you know, and like with Nell, I think I love Nell as a character. I really connected with her and I liked her. But she's also really frustrating at certain times because mm-hmm. it's like she's so honest and so strong in certain ways. And it was just like, why aren't you just being clear with Bankson about like what's going on with you? And what's yeah. happening to you and what happened to you in the previous community. Like, why can't you just say it? And like, well, I mean, and I think, think that's like, I don't know. You go ahead. Well, I mean, I, yeah. And I think that is a frustrating thing to, to witness. And it's a frustrating thing to be a part of. I think part of it to me, what, how it makes sense is like, as a woman who is strong and self-assured and a little bit, um, unorthodox and but successful I think it's hard to lay bare those parts of your life that don't fit with that either Mm. you know what I mean like it it doesn't fit that someone like Nell would be being abused like it doesn't even fit in her own head so that's not something that she can put out there Mm. and and I think that happens you know and and it's it's well there's a lot of shame yes like shame and embarrassment for being treated poorly you know and like i do think she loves him you know and and she made the choice to be with him so i think i i agree like i think to a certain extent she's just kind of like ashamed to talk about it and also like she kind of she chose him Mm -hmm. So it's just, but then it's also kind of interesting too, because there's a lot of talk in the novel of like how Nell is kind of like perpetually dissatisfied or like can't, um, well, like even she says that like everyone is just wine to her. Like that's just fleeting most of the time. Um, I think that's just an interesting way to be while still like being in this truly like dangerous 
relationship and situation. Well, and I think, you know, I think some of her, that psychology, you know, I, I think part of it, she talks about her sister who died, you know, that, yeah. that was when she was young and she cared for, and then all of a sudden comes back in this, and it's never talked about again. And I think, and then all the death that she has to experience with babies and children, I kind of this idea of fleeting and, you know, mm-hmm. it's like she, rather than have something permanent and lose it, just keep, just keep going with it. Does that, I mean, like what I'm trying to say, no, like, I think you're, I think you're right. It, it's like almost not keeping anything solid because of the fear of losing it. Um, so it's interesting that she marries Fen and but and then what ends up making her leave him? I mean, I know she leaves on the boat with him, but they've they've taken separate rooms when they get back to the main city. You can tell that this isn't gonna work. She does intend to leave him and makes that declaration. Yeah. Um, isn't even about something that he's done to her. It's because of what he did that caused the death of Zambom. Yeah. And so it's like his his uh, actions toward others and the horribleness of it is what is the end of the rope for her, not necessarily his horribleness towards her. Yeah. And well, and I th- and I think it's important too to note that like this is true of all like domestic violent domestically violent relationships is that the most dangerous time for the um, person being abused in those relationships is when they decide to leave. That's yeah. when their um, fatality, like danger, goes skyrocketing um, up. And we see this at work all the time. Um, it's the scariest. The leaving is the scariest part because that's usually when the abusers in those relationships get more volatile and they get more um, aggressive and more likely to do something that they otherwise wouldn't have done. Like they'd rather have you be dead than leave them. Like that's, that's just a fact. You, you see Fen's like, you know, misogynistic confidence with this where he up and leaves and leaves to, to go steal this flute and leaves Banks and Nell together. And basically is like, yeah, take care of her for me, buddy. You know, like it's not even really about yeah. now, right? It's about possession. It's about ownership. It's about having one up on her. It's about all of that. That's what's more important to him, obviously, than even, I mean, he's not stupid. He sees the attraction with Fel, Nell and Bankson and he, I think, has probably already assumed there's something going on. Oh, and what's with when Bankson is sick and, and Fen kisses gets drunk him? and Fen like kisses Bankson. So there's also I think this interesting like there's this like I feel like. There's this um, feeling almost like they're both kind of in love with Bingson in a weird way. Like it's almost yeah. like a three. It's a it's a trice. Like they're all kind of like in a relationship with each other. But I also think like I believe that is kind a of a, oh a thruple. Thank you. Thruple. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> um, there's like there's a lot of questions about what Fen does with his spare time because he's very secretive. He hides things from Nell and we really only get Nell and Bingson's perspective. So we don't know what he's really doing with like when he's out there because the, the taboos and the relationship make it so that Nell can't really interact and go observe the men. Like mm-hmm. that's Fen's job. He's yeah, allowed to be with them. Some, like there's some, 
not undertones, but suggestions that Fen is is in like engaging in like homoerotic acts, whether because yeah. he is like bisexual or because it's like a pow- like I don't know. I think I think you never really clearly understand Fen's motives, which I I'm good with. I don't think he's worth under. You know what I mean? He's he's yeah. not. You don't need it. And I like how in the book he just kind of disappears. Like they talk about that, that he like after Nell dies, he just disappears. He doesn't become famous. He doesn't keep going mm-hmm. with it. Like he just kind of falls off the face of the earth. And it's like that's I think that's the best ending for him. Like I that's agree, what he kind of deserves. It's what he deserves. And it proves that his issue with Nell was null. There was there was no point because he always believed he was being held back by being in her shadow. Yeah. And because she was always successful, he would never get his shot because they're writing about the mm-hmm. same people and she's more likely to sell a book because she's already been successful. And the fact that, okay, all right, Fen, well, you got her out of your way. Now let's see yeah. what you do. And he does nothing because in truth, he has nothing really to offer of value. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's just a great ending for him. Like, good for you buddy like you didn't do yeah. anything yeah except I really for like how she wrapped everything up in this like I feel like she wrapped too. everything up really well and but it didn't feel like I was surprised that I didn't have the ending feeling more rushed to me because it does just kind of like it just moves quick right like after Fen yeah. returns and Zanmon's dead like it it it's pretty quick paced about what happens and there's not a lot of exposition and, but it never feels rushed or forced. It just, I I think she did a really good job of wrapping everything up nicely. Um, like I don't like, like, but it all makes sense, but there's enough, there's almost like enough back other story you can imagine. Does that make sense? Like, I think Mm -hmm. she leaves this open space of what went on with Bankson in between like the last chapter where we're kind of seeing him in the future and, not in the future, but obviously years down the road. Um, I, I think there's like some nice open spaces for you to kind of wander in your own mind of what happened to these characters and like fill in some gaps and, but, but everything's tied up really nicely. Like I thought it was a really neat ending. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it was just really like a neat well-paced. story. Yeah. Like there's, there's so much to it, but it never, like I never feel like there's characters that don't mean anything. Like even, that kind of interaction that Bankson has where he leaves for the night and goes and visits that woman. Yeah. Um, um, I can't remember her, her name. name. It's, like I can't rem- it's like birdie or something, but yeah. you know, obviously some other Bonnie. No, maybe no, someone else. Anyway. It's um, it, well, it's a woman that he's been having this like ongoing affair with. Yeah. And I like, again, here we've got this other character, but I don't feel like it was superfluous that she was thrown in. I think if anything, she, it just added to, kind of your understanding of Bankson and his attitude towards Nell. Um, but the character also was written well, like didn't seem like a yeah. throwaway character and, and was sympathetic. Like, I don't think she was just treated as some ditzy hanger on, like obviously had her own story, which was interesting to think about. So I, th- I think she did a really good job of like creating this world but then this particular story within this world, everything is just put together really nicely and neatly. And it's a really good, like, read. Like It's a really good really, read. Really enjoyed the story. Like, there's just, I, I think mean, that there's yeah. something for everybody in it. You know, like, if you're there for, like, the romantic plot, it's mm-hmm. juicy and it's good. Like, 
it's really like, well really done. romantic. Like, yeah, the love really between good. Nell and Bankson, I really, really enjoyed their story. Like, it never felt yeah. trite or sappy or or too much. Like, yeah, just really good, really erotic, like really charged. Like, really, really, yeah, yeah the love story is great. And it's adventurous. Um, yep. uh I think it has lots of things to think about that are really matter, like what we were talking about with, you know, exploitation and colonialism. And there's just some really good things to think about and make you kind of question your own views on stuff. Like, yeah, I just think it was a great. I think so, too. And I like and I like that she doesn't, you know, like the character development that happens. I think Bankson obviously has the most character development because he has the longest storyline. Um, but you see so much development without it having to be explained to you. You know, like he starts yeah. off when we're first introduced to him, he's suicidal. He just had a suicide attempt and, right. and then he goes through these experiences that we go through with him. And at the end, he doesn't go back to those suicidal tendencies. Like there's been growth, there's been change. Something's happened to him and we've watched it happen, but it, he never says, and then I was no longer suicidal because right, of XYZ right. <laughs> experience. Like we get to take his experiences that we've read and we get to see the change or we get to decide kind of what the change yeah. was really that helped him um, become more like, I guess, resilient. I guess not, I don't like using that word as if like you're not resilient if you are depressed but like yeah, he's like he's he's able to like get past this hurdle though that he was experiencing or something and yeah i mean um, he's we're all on a like journey that. right and he's he has made it through this one portion of his journey and mm-hmm. and now he's in this other space where he's able to now how he interacts with tragedy in his life which yeah. him losing now is a tragedy he interacts with it differently um yeah not just just because he's made it through and I, I think yeah I think it and I think it makes that point too of, of how much he learns from from Nell but also from living this experience and from the tribe and and how they process mm-hmm. and handle grief and you know I think I think it's so hard to get through things when you're isolated for so many reasons yeah. and one of them is is that we can learn from other people of how to handle things how to process things and also when you don't feel alone it's much easier to feel like you can get through something if you know that you have support, you know? So him having Nell and Fen helped him get through that one part of his journey. And then him kind of realizing his place within the greater world and realizing that it doesn't revolve around us, but also that that's not just to say it's because you're selfish. It's because there's this whole other world going on. Like the world will keep turning. There are mm-hmm. other people who have your shared experiences and who you can look to and relate with. And, and sometimes that's all you need to know that you can continue to put one foot in front of the other. And I think that's what it is for Bankson. And, and yeah. that's a contribution that he can make to other people. You know, I mean, obviously he continued with his work. It, it I think it makes that obvious and, yeah. and in, and with the best intentions and, and in a thoughtful way and and it's not all peaches and cream like he talks about how he's his knowledge of those tribes they ask him to assist so that they can capture some some nazis mm-hmm. and unfortunately and that's great but then also a lot of people are killed that are innocent in in yeah. that effort and and it's not i it, i mean i guess it'd be nice if there's a little bit more on that but i don't think it was a throwaway i think it's just making the point of like 
there's so much shit that goes along with this, with this field um, of anthropology in particular. And it makes those points and it makes the point that it's all messy and there's none of this black and white with it. And I think that Bankson's able to get through that by being so much aware of how little he is within this grand scheme of a world. And, and yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I think like his, his, well, I think his love too, like an attachment to Nell kind of carries like with him for a long time. Like I think she, her legacy and like her helping him rekindle his passion for his work Mm-hmm. And, and see um, his place in it see his place in it um for better or for worse and then um just like that that passion that he feels for her like i think it just like reignites the spark for like life and touch and experience and sensation and i think that that is a really cool thing to witness and i think it it's realistic i think that's like exactly what falling in love does and um it, i just really i thought it was such a realistic kind of you know as cool as the story is that it's adventurous and um so different than what i think the average person is going to experience in their lifetime like what happens in this book it's still so universal in the sense of like everybody i think has felt some sort of like heat and attraction and understanding with another person and if you haven't like I really hope you do someday because it's I think it's just such a cool um human connection and it just stays with yeah. you forever even if things don't work out yeah no it just is valuable and just adds it, it's it's just more that you're adding to to the story and to your life and and I think I think yeah, I think the book does a really good job of pointing out how vital that is for our human experience. Yeah. The only thing I will say that I wished I'd gotten more of, and I don't think it's like a fault of the book. I think this book is like, I don't know. It was about, there's, I can't think of a way that she could have done it. But I wish I'd gotten more from zamboon and like learned more about his experiences yeah like that's just almost like another book i just want like a i don't know like a prequel or whatever like i just want i wanted to hear more of his perspective and like actually hear what he has to say but i felt excluded from it as a reader because Nell's being excluded from it which is yeah, realistic so and it works but like yeah it works because you you want it i want it too yeah but it's almost like that's not for us. Nell's excluded from it. That's private. That's his. And also yeah. I, I think it's like you almost couldn't do it justice. You know, like there's no way yes. it'd be she's, too little, whatever. It Lily was. King's it not maybe the right person to write about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Makes that point. Like she, yeah, I agree. No, there's lots of kind of those little stories that you want to know more about. But like I said, it's like, she's made this world. Everything's tied up really nicely yeah. and neatly, but yeah, it's, it's like, I don't know. I, I love stories where you can just imagine this parallel world, right? Where those things are going on in and you want to know more about it, but like, that's not our world. And we got a brief glimpse into it and it was, it was great. I love, I love the book. I really, do too. This was an really awesome, enjoyable one. awesome pick. I'm so glad you found it. And I'm so glad I read it. This is definitely, this is one that I 
almost like immediately wanted to reread. I loved it so much. This yeah. is definitely a rereader for really me. Good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, if you guys didn't, please go pick up a copy <laughs> of Euphoria by Lily King and Rita. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sadie, remind everybody what our next book is. You will have a week off, so you'll have plenty of time to, to get through this one. Yes. So our next one is The Book of Form and Emptiness by Ruth Ozeki or Oziki. I don't know exactly which way it is, but O-Z-E-K-I. Um, I'm really excited. It's It has really great reviews um, by some authors that I really like. Um, David Mitchell wrote a review, and I, I really like David Mitchell. He's the one who did um, The Bone Clocks and Cloud Didn't Atlas. Cloud Atlas? Yeah. 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 Um, and he just talks about how this is a compassionate novel of life, love, and loss. It's strange, beautiful, and the pages turn themselves. If you've lost your way with fiction over the last year or two, this book might just light your way home. And I think that's a good description of it. And it definitely like brought me into wanting to read it. So I hope everybody likes it again. Yes, you have more time to get started. And we will announce how far we're reading for the first episode very soon. Awesome. Um, and if anyone has any suggestions for a book after that, please uh, mm-hmm. send us a message. Um, I'll be picking the next one. Uh, so I'm not quite sure what direction we'll go. Um, excited because we've we've had some really good ones so far this year. 2022 is starting off. It's starting off pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing pretty good. So um, everybody, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the novel. Definitely yes. go pick up Euphoria if you haven't already by Lily King. Um, it's a great read. So uh, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.